Greetings, everybody. Thank you for allowing me to serve you with the good news of Jesus Christ. I come to you with the gospel of the good news of Jesus, as always. There's no other message. There's only the good news of Jesus as the true gospel. That is the eternal message of God. There's no other message that is the true gospel, but the good news that the kingdom of God has now come and that we can repent of what we used to think about God and ourselves and about how things work, and we can believe upon Jesus and find a life that is born from him. I want to welcome everybody that is slotting in in this webcast. For those that slot in for the first time, as well as our regular viewers, thank you so much for allowing me to serve you with the good news of Jesus. Let us pray together as we start our service. Father, thank you so much for your good news. Thank you for the love that you have for us. Thank you for the life that you bring to us. And thank you that you empower me to preach your gospel in a powerful way today. Amen. Today, as a start of the service, or basically just before the service, I, I want to do something that I don't normally do. Uh, I would just like to thank everybody that just sponsors financially uh, and gives financially towards Dynamic Love Ministries. Thank you for your giving. Thank you for your generosity towards this ministry. It is a great blessing to see that we can work together as a team. Dynamic Love Ministries, we don't believe in tithing or sowing or reaping or any of those principles. We simply believe in God bringing generosity to people's hearts and from that generous heart, people give. And that is how this ministry has worked for years. We have, um, we've always paid all our bills that way. It is not tithing nor sowing or reaping, neither putting guilt or any form of obligation on people trying to sell anything. It is only God and God doing it. And you that give towards this ministry, uh, since that is the foundation from where giving work, um, I just want to thank you for just allowing God to live in you. Thank you for the faithful giving over many years. Dynamic Love Ministries has got supporters that has come with us for, for years. We don't have many supporters, uh, but we do have faithful supporters that's come over over years. And it is good to see just the faithfulness in you. And what I'm glad about is the good report that there is behind your name. And that good report, and I want to just mention that as Paul mentioned it in Philippians, it is basically saying uh, it is a good word about you because it is the gospel bearing fruit in you. It is not manipulation, control, or any of those things. And you've just given it from a generous heart. Thank you for that. That is how it is supposed to work. Uh, we are grateful for your, um, for your giving and that Helena and I can give our lives to the spreading of the message of grace. We don't have to worry about uh, where's the money going to come from, how we're going to live, or any of those things. Uh, thank you so much for that. It gives me the time to study the scriptures, be in the word, and preach the gospel. I've said to God, God, um, if, if it works out that there is not financial support, I'll go and do a normal job. Uh, I'll do that. I'm willing to do that although I don't want to do that in the sense of it will take my time, it will take my attention, it will be a part of my life where my focus is 
on other things where I'll have to run a business and make sure all those things go well and then uh, come at night, late at night or sometimes and use maybe on a Saturday, use some time to quickly prepare a message, which is not the case now. And for many years, we could have just uh, preach the gospel and give give to others give to people that are struggling uh, sponsor orphanages and help people that are going through difficult times financially and be good to people thank you so much for that know that you are the blessed of god not because of your giving but because of jesus and you can experience and that is what you are experiencing you're experiencing what it feels like to share in God's life, in your generosity. Thank you so much for that. And I just, uh, I'm not saying this to remind anybody to give or anything like that. It is just simply not what God has put in my heart to do. And I don't think God has never put that in my heart to do, ever. It is simply God does it and works in people or it's not working at all. And that's just the way it is. I also want to just make an announcement. We've been on a TV station. We've had our own TV station for a while. I can't even know exactly how it is. It's a couple of years. And um, because of the COVID, this station is now going to close. Not because of finances at all. It was given to us for free. Uh, and the people group that gave this to us, the platform that gives this to us, is stopping some of their free channels because of the COVID and the impact it had on them. So uh, they are, th the feeling I get from them that it is sad for them to stop this, but that they will use our programs and take two other stations and take all their Sunday programming and um, use our material on their Sunday programming. And I also just want to just publicly thank God because we could for years run a TV station for free without asking anybody a cent that broadcasted on that station. And when something like that comes to an end, it is not a matter of, oh God, what must I do to keep it going? It's no, we, we're just grateful and thankful to God and um, praise him for the opportunity that we could for some years have our own TV station for free. Uh, isn't that absolutely wonderful? I'm still broadcasting on several other television stations and preaching the gospel there. The only thing is now that our station, where we just, um, which we managed, and all the programming was done uh, through through uh, Dynamic Love Ministries as well as Cor Ace and his ministry. We were working together um, at this, and uh, I was the content manager. Uh, Cor was the manager of the station. And it was just awesome how we could work together as a team preaching the gospel and how we could do that without ever asking for anything. Um, it's just God. That's all I can say. Uh, right. We're going to get into the message for today. Uh, I just felt in my heart to thank all of you. We're getting into the message for today. And this is going to be from Philippians chapter 3. I'm going to teach through Philippians 3 verse by verse over the next, uh, let's say, two, three, four Sundays. We'll see how long it takes. I want to start off by, uh, <clears throat> now let's first say this. This message is going to be about Paul and 
how he dealt with the gospel in his life and how he explained the impact of the gospel in his life to the point that he can basically say that he is perfect in the midst of imperfections. So this is to get you, and I want to teach on this, to help you uh, get to a place where you can understand what it means to be perfect yet not perfect. And that is a problem that a lot of people have uh, with grace churches. It is like, well, we're seeing imperfections. It might be a problem you have with yourself. We're seeing imperfections, but yet we are now calling ourselves perfect in Jesus. What does that mean? It looks like a contradiction. We're all the time struggling with this contradiction. I'm perfect, yet I'm not perfect. No, 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 no. And then it becomes a positive confession thing again, wherein you positively confess all the time. And uh, it's like a mind over matter kind of a thing, which it is not supposed to be. There's a way where we can understand these things and live uh, in truth where you know what you say is the truth. It's not as if you are perfect and not perfect and all those kind of things. Okay, uh, I'm going to give you an overview of the letter to the Philippians. First, I'm going to start out by what was going on in Philippi. Philippi was the first town where Paul started a church in Eastern Europe. And he had this, and he went there on what was called the Macedonian call. He had a dream or a vision and can't remember now if it was dream or a vision. I think a vision of a man standing and calling him over to Macedonia to come and preach there. Now, Macedonia, especially Philippi, as the capital of that area, was a stronghold, or called like this, a, a colony of Rome, where a lot of Roman soldiers that has retired lived. And they were really patriotic and standing for Rome, believing that Caesar is God and they just loved the Roman Empire and everything that it was about. Uh, the whole nationalism and everything was perfect for them. They loved it and they, they were for it. Also, what we need to understand is that in this time when Paul was spreading the gospel, Rome was really doing a lot to try and stop the spreading of the gospel because the church preached that Jesus is king and Caesar is not. Although they believed that you should submit to Caesar and all those kind of things, but they would, and they can even call him king, but in their hearts they had a king and that king was Jesus and they believed that he was the king of all kings. He was the true Lord and the ruler uh, and the problem is that Jesus was raised from the dead. Rome had to fall in with Jewish fabrication of lies and they tried to find the body of Jesus. They couldn't find the body of Jesus. People's lives were changed. Science wonders and miracles taking place. And people were saying that Jesus is king. And they were now uh, pleading allegiance to Jesus, calling Jesus the Lord. And then there were some things that Rome would say that people had to do, which they were not willing to do because it wasn't in line with their, uh, with their Lord Jesus Christ. And that was causing a bit of a political uproar and turmoil. I would like to advise you if you can go and watch 70 AD Kingdom and Empire on Netflix. 70 AD Kingdom and Empire. Uh, it is an absolute wonderful series explaining the political setting wherein all of this took place. It will enrich you. I'm watching this now for the second time. Now, I am not somebody that likes to watch movies or series. 
I don't do that. It is just not who I am. You will not find me just watching a movie. I just never do that. Uh, or a series that is beyond comprehension for me. But this series, um, one day I just said to my wife, she, 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 watch, uh, she watched the movie and I said to her, what you're watching? I said, find something about church history or something, a series maybe. And I think that's how we got to it. And then she looked and she found this and, and we watched it. And I was pleasantly surprised with the accuracy wherein this was taking place in, in communicating the political uh, setting wherein all of what I'm going to talk about today took place. So here was Paul. He received a Macedonian call. He is on his way now to Philippi. He's going to preach there a place where should you call Jesus king, you can die for that. He had this Macedonian call and he went. And um, you can read all about this in Acts 16. Acts 16 explains this. Paul went and uh, he went to the synagogue. He preached there and the synagogue was at a river there. And they want people wanted prayer. Paul went there. He preached. And then there was a lady, Lydia, the seller of purple. And she came to him and, and, and she accepted Jesus as Lord and she and her whole family was baptized it seems to me and at that writing as I read it that that took place the same day and then she came to Paul it, it could take place and it could have taken some days but then she went to Paul and said to him listen uh, if you judge me as faithful to Christ please come and live at my house so they stayed at Paul's house that was also the place where Paul went and cast a spirit of divination out of a woman that was following him all the time saying these are uh, men of God and after Paul casted the spirit out of this lady then the people that was using her for her prophecies and her wor words where she would speak accurately about people's history and those kind of things um, and may had financial gain out of that whole thing where they went and fabricated lies against Paul and Paul got himself in jail. That was also the place in Philippi where the, uh, the jail opened up and the shackles fell out and nobody left. And Paul shouted to the uh, temple guard not to harm himself to the uh, soldier there, not to harm himself. And where the soldier were also baptized, him and his family and so forth. And then after that, Paul left after planting that church there. Now, uh, Paul, after he left there, went about uh, what he was doing and preaching the gospel and then found himself in jail again in another place. And uh, then Epaphroditus, which was a person that lived in Philippi, he was sent with gifts from uh, the Philippians to Paul and uh, just to help him in jail. And back then you could go and uh, when people was in jail, they were not jailed, basically, uh, because of the wrong they've done, because there was already a sentence. They were waiting for the sentence, waiting to appear in court. So Paul was waiting there, and back then, you could still, you could serve the people and love love on them and be good to them, visit them, and, and all of that. Now, obviously, it was under supervision and so forth, but there was, as I understand and what I've read on history, quite open. You could go and see um, 
see people in the jail. But then once this, and normally in the cases of things that happened like Paul, if you were found guilty of preaching another king, that would be seen as treason and the death penalty would be the end and that would be the end of you. So um, <clears throat> Paul was then in jail. Epaphroditus came, gave him gifts, and then he wrote a letter. This letter, he said, was then sent back to uh, Philippi with Epaphroditus. And this letter is what we have and it's called the letter to the Philippians. The letter to the Philippians. In this letter, or this letter is basically uh, written around the gospel as contained in poem form from chapter 2, verse 6 to 11. Now, back then they had these poems that, or the gospel in poem form, where they would say, uh, say the poem. And then teaching was given around certain concepts inside this poem. We're going to read the poem today. <clears throat> but uh, just as a start, certain teachings was then given as pertaining to certain aspects of the poem. So everybody would memorize the poem, which would be the gospel. And then they would go for teachings on this. So when it would talk about the crucifixion they would understand in the crucifixion both Jew and Gentile became one and that was the end of sin excuse me the end of the law the end of all those things so as they um, uh, with, was, was saying the poem they would have in their mind okay the, the cross means this the resurrection means this the hope of the gospel means this so they were basically carrying the whole gospel in a poem form uh, it would be something like um, the, 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 the dynamic would be something like this Humpty Dumpty sat on the wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. All the king's horses, all the king's men couldn't put Humpty together again. When I was a child, I just listened to that and that was just a nice thing I said. But I didn't say that with any understanding. But as I grew older, you know, we could put that into a political uh, scene and now I've put that into the gospel. And to me, this is what it means. If, if I say Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall, I would think, well, Adam is the one that had a great fall. And nothing man could do. All the king's horses, all the king's men, neither politics nor man's ability can put man together. And when I, just, when I say that, and when I think of a, a simple thing like Humpty Dumpty, what is original setting was and context was doesn't matter what it means to me is uh, a powerful reminder that the fall of man cannot be restored by politics it cannot be restored by the king or his might it basically reminds me of a scripture that says uh, not by power nor by might but by my spirit says the lord that is what it reminds me of. In the very same way, when they would have uh, Philippians 2 verse 5, uh, they would, as what I would have done now, they would have had references to places in this poem wherein they would then be mindful of the gospel. So that would mean that if people are in jail, uh, they wouldn't have any writings. They don't have Bibles, but they have this poem, this thing they would recite which first corinthians 15 was one of them an ancient creed uh, 
to which Paul also submitted. Now, this this would then be in the minds of the people and cannot be taken away from them. They cannot confiscate any documents or anything. It is inside them. And they would know what these things mean. So if they would just recite that, they would have the whole gospel, which is awesome. I think it is time that we do the same thing. If we can just uh, learn Philippians 2 verse 6 to 11 off by heart or 1 Corinthians 15 verse 1 to 5, 1 to 3, 1 to 5 off by heart and just say, well, okay, what does death of Jesus mean? And we have an understanding of that. What does the burial mean? What does the resurrection mean? And what does the resurrection of the dead then mean? What does the ascension mean? If we have that, we have the whole gospel. I said it last Sunday and I want to say it again. The... Um, the early church didn't have Bibles, man. Paul didn't travel from place to place with a Bible. He, he didn't have a Bible. There were some letters that he did have. There was some documentation that he did carry with him. But he didn't go with a whole copy of the Old Testament. He didn't have a Septuagint that he was carrying with him, the Greek translation of the old from which he would then go and say i want to open up to you here and and then teach you from the scripture he didn't do that if he went to a place where there wasn't a synagogue where he would stand and teach where there might have been scriptures that he could read from he would just stand up in the market square or wherever it would be in ephesus or so forth and just start to preach and just tell about the appearing of Jesus and how Jesus appeared to him, who he was as a Pharisee and a follower of um, Judaism and, and, and all of that and how he followed the Pharisee sect and waited for the Messiah to come, but that this Messiah then appeared and how he misunderstood what it was all about, but that it, this Messiah is actually the Messiah of all people. And then he explained that that is how he would preach. And then he would say, I, I'm a, I was studied in the Jewish scriptures and these Jewish scriptures pointed to these things. That's what he would have had. He didn't go around with a Bible. Now, with that said, um, let us get into Philippians 2 verses 6 to 9. And now we're going to just read this little poem that Paul wrote. And this is how it goes. It says, um, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Okay, just for a start, a poem back then wasn't a poem as we would see it that it rhymes it was just a there was a certain way where in certain things was repeated and reset now i don't want to get into how poems worked back then but this was what they basically memorized it says let this mind be in you which was also in christ now this is now the poem who being in the form of god thought it not robbery to be equal with god but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of man. So what this is basically saying is, is that Jesus didn't feel that he was robbing God of anything in becoming a servant. He was also not feeling that he was being robbed of anything in becoming a servant. Uh, it, it, and, and I believe the reason why you cannot rob God from... Um, you know, in becoming a servant is that is exactly who God is. He is a servant. He's come to serve his people with life. 
He says, but made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant and made was made in the likeness of men. And being found in the fashion of man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also highly exalted him and gave unto him a name which is above every name, that in the name of Jesus every knee should bow, um, that is in heaven and earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, the glory of God. Now, around this poem you will find about seven different areas or seven different short essays, essays that Paul writes. He starts in chapter 1, verses 1 to 3, and then he goes on one, 7, you know, uh, 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 4 to 7, and so forth. And you can find seven different areas where he refers to this poem um, and this truth, making this truth applicable for the people in that time. So that would mean that this would basically say to the people, in one of the instances, listen, don't be scared to humble yourself and you know when the when the roman empire comes and when these people are there just know that you're just serving them and serve them with the good news don't come in all uh being high and mighty and say well i'm not going to submit to you and i i'm of my own kingdom and i don't care about you and all no no just be quiet love on the people Become as one of them, serve them, but you can know that you have a higher Lord. And when things, they, if they want you to do things that's against that kingdom, then you can say, and then you will be persecuted. But as Jesus was persecuted and raised from the dead, so will you be. Okay, now that's, I think, a very good foundation that I've laid there, especially those who want to listen to this again. Now, chapter 3, verse 1. <clears throat> listen to Paul's concern, and this is the message that I'm getting into now. It says, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. I say, he says, rejoice in the Lord to write the same things to you. To me, indeed, is not grievous, but for you, it is safe. Okay, so Paul says, rejoice in the Lord. Now, he puts that aside a little bit, and he's going to explain how he rejoices in the Lord in the midst of everything that's going on, writing to a people that are persecuted, people are decapitated, people are killed by Romans. They are, they are sought out, they, you know, and, and their lives are being destroyed for the gospel. Now, this is a very dangerous scenario where you can find your life in as a Christian. They've got spies that's spying out your freedom, spying out what you are doing. Then they let the Romans know. Then the Romans come. They catch you. They, um, they, they will kill your children. It was terrible times. In these times of uh, great distress and a time of persecution, the church in Philippi was still flourishing. And then Paul comes and he warns them. And look at what he's warning people against. He's not warning them against Rome. He's not warning them against persecution. He's not warning them against uh, what that they might be jailed. He's not warning them against any of those things. He doesn't see that as a threat to the gospel or the church at all. But he's warning them here. He says here, he says, to me, uh, it's not difficult to repeat myself. Because it is safe for you. Okay, so imagine this. If we make it practical into everyday life, I've just preached this morning 
uh, in our local church a Zoom meeting, and I'm going to just use the same example, but different countries. Imagine you live in America or you live in Canada, and I come and I say to you, listen, I want to repeat the gospel to you because this will secure your safety. And then I make no mention, let's use America now, talking about riots, talking about places burning, making no mention on any political power or anything, because that to me is not um, any threat to the gospel whatsoever. But then I come and I say, I want to warn you against what is really a threat, and that is believing wrong doctrine. Do you know that right now today, doesn't matter what country you are in, the true threat to the church is not what's happening politically. It is on what is happening as pertaining to what the church believe doctrinally. That's where the true threat is. That's where that's what we should worry about. Christians and church leaders, uh, you raising your children, uh, you raising you having an influence on your grandchildren, whatever it is, the true thing that you need to be concerned about is what is believed. So whenever you uh, think of the gospel, that you believe the truth. Whenever you share the gospel, that you share the truth. Here is Paul, and he writes a letter to a colony of Rome where a lot of retired Roman soldiers live that is patriotic. And they are absolutely all the time just focusing on Rome and they are like um, like you would find veterans you know that is that has been in the army and given their life for their country they feel we've bled for this country we've done everything for this country we have a back then in Rome they had a kind of a first kind of a democracy and those kind of things they they had all of that and they were fighting for that they are the developed world they've got these aqueducts and they bring streets and roads and everything and they would say well before we came here how did this place look and they would fight for and stand for what is theirs. And Paul comes in that, in that setting and he's preaching the gospel. Listen, Caesar is not king. There's only one king and every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess to the lordship of Jesus. God raised him from the dead. The Jews and the Romans, they killed him. They, just, they killed the Lord of glory, but the father rose, raised him up from the dead and he is our Lord and we who believe in him we are citizens of heaven we are citizens of a different kingdom that is now taking over the kingdoms of this world that is what Paul preached knowing persecution is going to come people are going to be thrown in jail people are going to be killed but that was not a threat to Paul people being persecuted people being put in jail uh, the Romans doing whatever they want to do uh, financial instability all those things was not an issue to Paul what was the issue was what they believed 
what they believe. Now listen to what Paul does. And this is what he says. He says, I'm going to repeat myself. It's not grievous for me to repeat myself. I want to just say this. Preachers of the gospel, don't be afraid to repeat yourself. It's good. Just make sure you're repeating the right thing. Make sure that what you are repetitive of is the gospel. Doesn't it help you repeat the lie? You need to repeat the truth. Um, so here he comes and he, he, he says, it's not grievous for me. I love to do this because now I know as I repeat this and you believe this, you are safe. He says, beware of dogs. Now the dogs that he's talking about here is not the dog walking in the street. What he's doing is he's basically turning the table on the Jews. Because what happened in Philippi was uh, there were people that were very zealous of resisting Rome's power and hold of uh, over Jerusalem. They wanted to start a revolt, and many revolts were started in, in that time. You know, um, it, after this time, the Bar Kokhba revolt started. Before that, there was different revolts. It was all about getting Jerusalem free from oppression. It is just like today. What people want is they want Jerusalem free. They want Israel free. They want to fight for that freedom. Jesus back then warned them and said to them, don't fight for the freedom of these people. Don't fight for the freedom of the temple. Don't do that. See your freedom as in another kingdom. Everything has been made new. Christ has come and he's made everything new. Come on, wake up unto the truth. As you st stand and fight for the freedom of the temple and the Jews, you're going to find that you're going to be destroyed by the sword. And Jesus' prophecy came true in 70 AD. Here Paul comes and he preaches in that setting, he preaches the gospel. In that time, there were, as we find today, Christians zealous for the physical temple and the rebuilding of the temple and all those kind of things. Now, trying to get the Christians to partake in this whole system. And what they did was they went to the churches where Paul preached and they, want, they wanted to recruit people for their political parties. And what they told the Gentiles was, the Gentile believers, they told them, listen, you can become true Jews by being circumcised following the customs of Moses. And you know what is our inheritance in this? God has given us the temple and he's given us Jerusalem. So now these people, these Gentiles that come to the faith would now start to be a bold sentiment towards the temple and towards Jerusalem. And now they would start a fight and put their power and their numbers behind these zealots which was zealous for Jerusalem and the temple. This is, this is truly what happens. It almost sounds like a retelling uh, of uh, that what's happening today is a retelling of just what happened back then. And Paul then said, the danger now is that you that are believers in Jesus think that there's something wrong with you, that you need circumcision, the customs of the law, and that you become sentimental towards the temple and all those kind of things. You need to get away from that. That is the true danger. The true danger is not um, 
the the whole message about um you know what's happening politically in the country that's not the danger rome persecuting the church is not the danger because the message is about the resurrection if these people die they're going to be raised anyway as long as what they just believe in the gospel but if they oh my goodness i'm getting very excited here if they get too much into the message of um you know the temple and the law they going to push away from themselves the true gospel and so not walk in the salvation of god the true dangerous thing is believing a wrong message that's according to paul he says here finally my brethren rejoice in the lord you see the thing is don't rejoice in how safe your country is man i i, I live in south africa i live in south africa I rejoice in the Lord. And this is what Paul is basically saying here. Rejoice in the fact that Jesus is your Lord. That there is no lack in you. You don't have to be circumcised and circumcised and start to follow the law in any form or fashion. These people that are teaching this to you, Paul said in different places, they have they don't have pure motives. They just want to get you to help them. This is in Galatians and Ephesians. They just want you behind them for political gain. That is all that it's about. Get out of that. Get into knowing that you're of the true kingdom, that Jesus is your Lord, that you lack nothing, and understand safety. Safety is now redefined. Safety is now found in what you believe what you believe the bible says don't jesus said it himself don't fear him that can kill the body but rather fear him that can that can kill the body and put the soul into death now it doesn't mean that jesus is going to go about killing people and uh, killing their souls what he's basically talking about is that humans sit in the seat of authority where they can kill the body but they don't have they don't have the final voice over eternal life rather have respect for the one which determines if you will live forever or not rather be mindful of those things and that is the gospel of grace I was talking uh, to my son and we were talking about raising your children and where we raise our children you know he's um i mean he's a young person he can go and i mean he's finishing his engineering degree and it, he's got possibilities not he doesn't have offers at all but if he wants to pursue living in another country he can do that now we were talking about how you make decisions and you know how we were just talking about that i was thinking about how i would make a decision on where to live and raise my kids i don't want to live raise my kids in a country where they mock christianity every day that is so anti-christian although there is no crime you can go to a country where there's basically no crime but children from primary school is mocked if they're Christians. Now that to me is a very unsafe country in the light of eternity. 
I don't want to raise my child like that. I'd rather raise my child in Zambia, which is a Christian nation. Call, they call themselves a Christian nation, uh, simply meaning Christianity, can freedom of religion, where no Christian is mocked. I'd rather raise my child there. Uh, and yes, there is no financial prosperity, and there is it's difficult times and all those kind of things. That is the responsible thing to do. As pertaining, if you have your eyes uh, set on uh, um, eternal values. Paul comes and he says, let me repeat the gospel to you. For it's safe. Beware of dogs. Now, the Jews called the Gentiles dogs. You can go read this in Matthew fifteen twenty-seven, where the woman said, uh, it's the, the crumbs falls from the master's table and the dogs eat the crumbs. The Jews called the Gentiles dogs. But here Paul comes and he's calling the Jews that are following the customs of Moses and still believe in circumcision. He calls them dogs and them evil workers. Evil workers, worthless workers, rubbish workers. So what he calls them is workers of rubbish. He calls them dogs and he defines who they are. These are the people of the concession or the circumcision. And then he goes on and verse 3 says, For we are the circumcision which worship God in the spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh whatsoever. Now, in today's day and age, there is a little bit of a going back to the ancient Judaism thing. I have Christian friends that was with me in Bible school times in the church there that, that has left Christianity, gone into Judaism. These people got circumcised, um, lives in Israel now and so forth. And I find that there are churches that are moving towards this Judaism thing. Very dangerous absolutely dangerous paul says the people that are doing that to you the people that are teaching those old jewish customs and how you can as gentiles become part of that follow off the feasts eventually be circumcised and so forth and a little bit add jesus in here in through the back door kind of a christian that do these things paul calls them he says beware of dogs beware of Evil workers, beware of the circumcision teaching. Now, in the church, there's a small group there that, that does that. It's not really uh, worth, worth to mention, actually, but I feel just for those that do know about it, um, that is what Paul would have said. But what we have done today is we've changed this, wherein we still walk in the flesh, wherein our uh, we, we want to find righteousness not towards God, but just in what is right. We want to define it according to flesh, which is a problem. And I find that in, um, in what we hear via the news every day, the news media is playing two people groups off against each other black and white and what it's doing is it is drawing your mind into ethnicity and now all of a sudden righteousness is being defined in 
but this group says this and that group says that. And all of a sudden, right and wrong is defined in something else. And we as Christians are being pulled into this rubbish. We are pulled into this and we need to beware. I want to say, if you are getting into that, it's not going to be long and you're going to become legalistic. You're going to become legalistic in your mind. You're going to find that everything you look at is right and wrong. You become very judgmental. You start to see faults in others all the time. And you will start to see faults in yourself. You'll find frustration between you and your husband or wife or your uh, uh, brothers and sisters. Uh, or even between you and your kids. Frustration will start to fill your house. Why? Because your mind is drawn away, maybe not in the way it was in Paul's day, but drawn away unto the flesh, where confidence is in the flesh, where the whites are right, or no, the blacks are right, and then it becomes about politics and all those kind of things. You're becoming legalistic. I want to tell you the enemy is getting your mind into the law. And if you get your mind into the law, I'm, I'm not saying the law is evil. The law is good because the fulfillment of the law is Jesus. But I'm talking about becoming judgmental, judging people according to the flesh, as I thought before. As you start to think on those things, my friend, I'm going to tell you, you're going to find a decrease uh, of the fruit of the Spirit in your life because you're not in the Spirit anymore. You are not, let me put it this way, you're not, I'm not saying you're not having the Holy Spirit, but you're not walking in the Spirit, meaning in the power of the resurrection. You're not walking in that power anymore. I want to tell you, I'm so grateful in this, in this COVID time that I could spend a lot of time thinking on these things, looking at the scriptures and all of that. It brought a peace to me wherein as I look at our country, I, I find that I, in my heart, I start to feel like a citizen of heaven. What I mean by that is if I, if I take myself and I compare where I was. Now, when I was in school, I wanted to join the special forces uh, of, of South Africa's defense force and go to war, uh, you know, and, and fight for our country. Then I got saved. Then I found I want to go to the army, but I don't want to be involved in, in, if I don't have to go to the battlefield, it would be okay, but I'm going to serve my country and those kind of things. And then I found that I am not so much a proud South African anymore. I was a South African and I am grateful for the country that I live in. And, but I found that I feel about South Africa the way I would feel about Norway or the way I would feel about Switzerland or the way I would feel about Zambia. Nice country, happy for them, good people, see the people for who they are, enjoy it when I'm there. But I find that I'm not a citizen of any of those in my heart anymore. So if my patriotism went down and I'm patriotic towards another kingdom now, and that is what the gospel brings. That is what Paul had. Imagine how 
proudly Paul was a Jew, the temple, our land, and all those kind of things. And all of a sudden, that's gone because of Jesus. Because of Jesus. You wouldn't find Paul pray saying, God bless the Jews. He would never say that. That would not be on his mouth. He said, God bless, blessed be the Israel of God. And he was pointing out to something different. And here Paul comes, and, and this is my message for you today. What is the true danger? The true danger is not believing the gospel. The true, true da dan danger is getting our mind off the gospel of his grace where it becomes about our works, where it becomes about what this people group has done, that people group has done, how stupid this political party is, how stupid that political party is again. And our minds become all flooded with the law and works again. And in that way, from that perspective, we find that the enemy comes and brings the lie to us again and we get into the flesh, not as the Jews did back then through physical circumcision, but we are recruited for a system of this world which is found only in this world and not of God. I read, um, you know, you, there are many writings you can go and read that is extra biblical. Now, to read extra biblical writings is very, very good. We don't have to use it as scripture, but those writings were written in that time. Uh, if you go and read Josephus, it will be good for you. If you go and read, I, re I just now read, it's about 170 pages, the first and second book of Adam and Eve, uh, giving you uh, just an account of what a lot of Jews believed on what happened with Adam and Eve and so forth. It's maybe not recorded in the Bible. I do believe the Bible makes reference to it. You know, it's like, I mean, there are many references to extra biblical things that is recorded in the bible although those th although those things aren't biblical uh like if you go and read the first and second book of adam and eve oh my goodness you will see how many biblical references there are towards that not that i want to add anything to the canon but what i want to say is you can go and read some of those things those of you that like to study and and uh, read further when i read the first and second book of adam and eve what i found is in the temptation that Adam and Eve had, the devil came in, in one way here. And after they fell, the enemy always came in another way. You know, there was different ways wherein he came. But the temptation was always to move away from the promise of God, what God has promised, and having your identity in Jesus, to an identity that is outside of Christ, where it is by your works, where you refer to your flesh and not to God. And we find that in, if you go and read it, so many ways and every time the enemy would come, it is always as an angel of the light. You know where it says the enemy comes as an angel of the light. It's also mentioned in the first and second book of Adam and Eve, the different accounts, many accounts where he came as an angel of the light with a wonderful message that he says is from God. But that message is always about what you must do, uh, finding your identity in the flesh, moving away from the simple message of God fulfilling a promise, always saying you can have what God has promised right now by your own works instead of relying upon Jesus or relying upon the Father or on God. 
In conclusion, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the fact that Jesus is Lord and that you are part of a brand new kingdom and that you are under the rule of his life and that we don't have to get entangled with the things of this world, but that we can be entangled, intertwined, having our eyes single, meaning braided into uh, the fact that uh, Jesus and God is one. And in that way, heaven and earth has come together in the man Jesus. And that union between physicality and humanity and God is be being spread into the world and or have being intertwined into that truth in our mind where it's not by our works where it's about God and him only we cannot through legislation and through our doing bring the kingdom of God into manifestation in this earth it is impossible the only way the best thing you can ever do politically or in raising your kids or anything is have a life that is born from the love of God towards them and teach them the gospel that's it that's what I do with my kids I sit down with them difficult decisions they need to make bring it back to the gospel bring it back to the gospel the gospel my son look at the gospel look at how do you make the business decisions even based on uh, the gospel message? How does it work from the inner heart? How does God bring it forth? All those kind of things. I end off with this. Let us rejoice in the Lord. Let us not find it grievous to repeat the simple gospel. And then let us beware of the dogs, the evil workers. Let us beware that we don't catch ourselves going back to the law because that is the true danger. As long as what you are in the gospel of his love and grace, you are safe. doesn't matter where you live. Somebody said to me on Facebook, he says, um, if you are not safe wherever you are, you are not safe at all. If you are not safe in North Korea, you're not safe at all. If you find that you're not safe in South Africa, you're not safe at all. If you're not safe in Switzerland, you're not safe at all. If you're not safe in America, you're not safe at all. If you're not safe in China, you're not safe at all. The only safety is in the one that has conquered death and has given us the gospel of his grace. Glory to God. Thank you so much that I could serve you with the good news of Jesus today. I trust this message uh, has enriched you about the history of um, the letter to the people in Philippi and then as well as served as a warning on what the true danger is and that it will bring you peace as you know you are in the gospel. God bless.